Pulaski River. Her few things had been stowed by a porter back in the women's cabin over the thundering paddle wheel beneath one of the six bunks in that common room. She'd go there where men were forbidden, now that the city had been ripped from her vision and the monotonous shores offered nothing. She turned to face the boy, some reserve in her face, and met his gaze coldly. He surprised her a little. His face looked as dark as her own, a little redder, perhaps, and the features of two races melded in him as it did in her. Skinny, she thought. Hair oddly red on an Indian face. Dressed in a gray suit jacket and baggy breeches. I didn't know you had gray eyes, he said. Please, stop staring at me, she replied. Her gray eyes had been one of the gifts from her father, Charles-Pierre-Jacques-Edouard du Paris. They didn't fit in her pecuni face. They didn't belong, and they always startled people. From him she had those eyes and a thin nose and sharp chin line and small bones and a knowledge of French and English and maybe even some of his peculiar arrogance. Yes, she thought, she especially had that. He'd always somehow seemed above the American Fur Company's other engagés, and even looked different from them, slim and patrician, while they were burly and rough and hardy. I think I know you, the boy said. She'd been pushing past him, but paused. I think you're Marie-Thérèse de Paris. I remember when you went away. He'd surprised her. She stared back, dredging memories from her childhood. She wasn't sure at first. Could he be that boy? You are Peter Kipp. He grinned triumphantly. I've been to school here, same as you, only we aren't Catholic. She stared uncertainly. He had been such a quiet boy. Now he seemed different, bold, almost insolent with a wide grin that mocked her. You kept looking at me, she said, to put him off balance. I couldn't help it. You're beautiful, Marie-Therese. Now that I'm grown up, I see things... Neither of us are grown up. I'm seventeen. People had joked that Peter Kipp's father was the American Fur Company. In 1840, when he was about five, a Salish woman had come to Fort McKenzie and handed the half-breed boy to the factor there, Alec Culbertson. The child is yours, she had said. His name is Peter. And she had left without revealing anything more. Peter, that all studied the boy's face and red hair and guessed at the father. Young James Kipp, even then a veteran American Fur Company trader, took the boy in and raised him, or rather his lovely Mandan wife, Ipasha, or Good Eagle Tail, had. No one ever supposed Kipp had sired the child. I must go to my cabin now, Marie Therese said. Why do that? We have a whole steamboat to see. Don't you want to see it? We can go anywhere, I guess. I don't like the boat. Why? he asked, intensely curious. The underwater spirits are bad. Bad medicine? he laughed. Bad medicine? Do you still believe in that stuff? She refused to reply. Meadowlark had told her long ago that the things under the water were dark spirits, like the things under the earth. The St. Ange crawled with them. She felt the packet shudder with dark spirits, 
felt the steam from dark fires make the boat go upstream against the current. I see you do, he said a little scornfully. This isn't magic. It's the machinery of white men harnessing the powers of nature. The fires make steam, and the steam pushes two big pistons connected to pitman rods, which are connected to the paddle wheel. It is all perfectly sensible to rational minds. It's all science. Didn't they teach you that Indian religion is all superstition? Yes, she said reluctantly. The sisters had told her that all the spirits the Bakuni respected were idols and evil. Marie-Therese had tried to believe them, tried to believe that the only God was the invisible one above and the visible one on the cross. It troubled her. Then you should forget all those silly myths. Just because our mothers had them doesn't mean they're right. She was suddenly aware of the amulet under the bodice of her dress.